Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into the Celtics Lab podcast. I will be your host for the first half of the podcast here with Alex Goldberg. Cam will be joining us in the second half when we link up with Kai Carlin, the editor of Sixers Wire. Today we are going to talk about the looming series in the second round with the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, Game 5 and a little bit of news before we get started. Very little news, but there is a little bit of news that I do want to touch on briefly. Uh, how are you doing, Alex? I'm doing okay. I'm kind of squeezing this in uh, between a couple of other things, jobs, social engagements, other crazy stuff like that. So um, that's why I'm only going to be here for the first chunk. But I did watch all of the game last night, and I'm excited to talk a little bit about the next round. Uh, and to any of my Philadelphia-based friends who are listening to this, I'm so sorry for the next few weeks. You are my enemy. It's not personal, but that's how it's got to be. Yeah, I gave Cam a hard time uh, last night about giving a compliment to the Hawks uh, on Twitter. And, like, really, we don't really, you know, like, hate opposing teams or anything like that. We're not, like, 1980s homers. But you got to maintain the proper mindset going through this stuff. Got to do it. Yeah, so some news real briefly. There is a new CBA. It has been officially agreed to. We are not going to talk about it because we have talked about it to a certain degree. We'll do a deeper dive with USA Today's and who types Yossi Goslin sometime in the offseason. We have a little bit more specifics about what it's actually going to be, you know, applying to the Boston Celtics. Uh, so we won't go into that, but I do want to briefly offer a mea culpa. And that would be for a wrestling body slam joke I made about a one beloved Gershon Yamusele, who got into a big, 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 almost, shall we say, malice at the palace level uh, kerfuffle in EuroLeague action uh, between Real Madrid and Partizan, uh, with Dante Exum being first grabbed and then slammed to the floor. I made a joke about it. It turns out he got kind of hurt from that. Uh, Yabu has since issued an apology. He could be suspended or even kicked out of the league. Uh, I made a joke thinking it was not a very big deal. Fights are pretty common compared to the NBA, at least, uh, in the Euro League. Uh, I was off base, so I'm sorry I said that. Uh, any thoughts, Alex? My big thoughts is that... Um... Dante Exum is one of my worst draft takes of all time. I was all in on Dante Exum. I thought he would be a fabulous point guard. Uh, I thought the Celtics should trade up to get him. That was not a good take. Um, Dante appears to be doing okay in this uh, in the EuroLeague. He is, of course, you know, getting into fights, which happens in the EuroLeague, but uh, not an NBA player. No, but in all seriousness, um, I watched a little bit of the brawl. It was kind of crazy. Um, you know, I think malice in the palace level is appropriate with the kind of caveat that, like, as you mentioned before, these things are a little bit more common in uh, the Euro leagues and in other leagues than they are in the fairly clean cut now NBA, which is interesting to say, but that's kind of where we're at ever since the actual malice at the palace. It seems like the most that we're going to get is some light jawing, pushing and shoving, and maybe, maybe, maybe occasionally somebody will take a swing at someone, but that's really about it. I think it's generally a good thing. You don't want to see people get hurt. Like Dante Exum might have a ruptured tendon now because of this, and definitely has a chip tooth. Yeah. You want to avoid that kind of stuff. It doesn't add to the product. I don't care. Like if that's your thing, go watch hockey. I mean, that, that's what exists. Let's uh, go through yeah, uh, should also be noted that uh, Yamadar is on the other team, partisan uh, out of Belgrade, and Vincent Poirier, if you remember him, is a member of Real Madrid as well. Yeah, Vincent Poirier, you know, that he was certainly a guy. <laughs> Mr. Secretary. Yeah. Neither of those two were involved in the brawl, as far as I'm aware. So, 
around the playoffs. We've got some other stuff going around. Most of the second round is now set up. Uh, Miami is now going to be facing the New York Knicks, Denver versus the uh, Suns. Uh, how do we think the Knicks-Heat series is going to go? I am really looking forward to watching this series. I think it is going to be one of the most fun series that we've had in a very long time. I mean, I know that we just talked about how the NBA is definitely less of a physically confrontational league, but there's definitely a chance that it gets thrown out in this series. These are two big, mean, nasty teams uh, that are play. They build their identities around just how much physical force can they apply on a game to game basis. I think the chess match between Eric Spolstra and Tom Thibodeau is going to be fascinating from a coaching standpoint. I really think those guys are two of the actual best coaches in the game. And, you know, Jimmy Butler is playing once again at a top 10 guy level, which he seems to just do every year in the playoffs, much like we talked about last podcast. Um, I just think this is going to be one of the most interesting watches. And it, it feels like a throwback series in a lot of ways. You know, I know that Spolstra and Jimmy and all those guys that and Josh Hart had a thing about this as well that they're not trying to think of it as a 90s series that they don't really think about the kind of previous history of the Knicks and Heat uh, and their rivalry and that doesn't factor into their considerations and I definitely get that but I do think the on-court product is going to look and feel and resemble a 90s series just in the way that these teams kind of play they're both super physical um they rely a lot on individual isolation basketball and like the brilliance of people like Jalen Brunson and Jimmy Butler creating on an individual level um there's going to be some ugly games in this series we are talking like 93 to 89 score line type of deals maybe even lower uh I'm really excited I would say for, sorry and I, I know we asked like how do we think this would go it feels like a seven game rock fight to me. I think I would give a slight advantage to the Knicks just because the Madison Square Garden crowd has been insane in this postseason, but it, it really could be a toss up and I feel like it's going seven either way. I, I wouldn't disagree at all. I think it's definitely a seven game series because of the physicality that you mentioned. I'll be very surprised if at least one player on each team doesn't end up nursing at least a minor injury from the series just because of how physical they play. Uh, with that said, not that we're rooting for injuries, as is the common refrain uh, at this time of year, but uh, if there are two teams in the playoffs, I wouldn't want to have to face, at least we won't have to face one of them on the Celtic side of things uh, going into this because, you know, you kind of want your bigs to be intact in particular, and I think both of those teams are really good at beating up on big men. Uh, the drama that you were hinting at for those who are, aren't steeped in the history of the Knicks is uh, the decampment of Miami Heat uh, godfather uh, Pat Riley from the organization to go to, to the Miami Heat. So there's still some bad blood there from the fans. I don't really think there's anyone left in the institutions other than Pat Riley who actively remember that, but it makes for good press. Uh, we also have the Phoenix Suns and Denver Nuggets. Uh, Phoenix is favored in the series. Uh, do you think Denver has a chance at winning it? I think Denver actually has a really good chance at winning this. I'm, I'm, a, you know, I'm not surprised that Phoenix is favored, but I'm a little surprised that so many people seem ready to just kind of write Denver off. This is a much better Denver Nuggets team than the previous playoffs years, where Nikola Jokic was really out there with. A lot of like G-leaguers and Will Barton. Uh, that is not the team that we have here. Jamal Murray seems like he's very close to being back to peak form. He's capable of giving 40 on any given night. Uh, I think Michael Porter Jr. has generally been playing better. He's a, still a little volatile, but he's been trending up. Um, I just love Aaron Gordon's fit on this team and have for a long time, particularly when Murray and Porter Jr. are both out there. The Timberwolves were obviously no great shakes and Denver pretty easily dismantled them. Um, so I, I, but that being said, I, I think this Denver team is really good and they've shown it all year. I think they have a legitimate home court advantage. I understand from a matchup standpoint that they don't have many easy answers for Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, the way that they're playing. Here's the thing, folks. Nobody does have answers for those guys. It's more about 
does Phoenix have an answer for Nikola Jokic in response? And I have to say, I have not been all that impressed by DeAndre Ayton up to this point, and I am really concerned about Denver's big, uh, about Phoenix's big man depth and about their depth generally. I think this is going to be a really close, really tight series. Um, and I, I personally would have Denver winning it at this point. Uh, I think there's definitely a world where Phoenix can win it, but I like the Nuggets depth a little more. And I think there's something to be said for um, the reigning, the will soon no longer be reigning, but at the current moment, reigning back-to-back MVP home court and the fact that he now has a real team around him. Yeah, your your point of bringing up Aiton in particular as a weak point, I think is particularly salient for me and why I also have the Nuggets as a slight favorite personally. Uh, they don't seem to have a very good role for him in general, never mind against someone of the caliber of Jokic. And I, I, I see that matchup just being a buffet, really, for Jokic. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see which team can kind of marshal their offense to supersede is- the other. This is the biggest series of DeAndre Aiden's career. I don't yeah. think, and, and you know, I know he's played in the finals, but like this is a series where he's really going to have to show people uh, in that Phoenix Suns organization that he is comfortable being the guy, like the clear cut third guy on this team, because that's what they're asking him to be. I mean, with apologies to Chris Paul, who I think is, you know, an all time great player and a surefire Hall of Famer. They need Aiton to be the third guy. It can't be Chris Paul if they are trying to win a title. So there's a couple other series that have yet to conclude in the first round. Uh, They're pretty tightly contested. And really, I could see either of them going either way. Uh, You could could sell me on either one. That being Golden State Warriors versus the Sacramento Kings with the Warriors in front 3-2 and the Lakers in front of the Memphis Grizzlies, also 3-2. Who takes each series and why? You know, I was one of the few voices that felt pretty strongly that the Sacramento Kings could win this series at the beginning for Golden State uh, and the Sacramento Kings. Um, That being said, I think the Warriors have met or exceeded my expectations as far as their competitiveness in the series. And the De'Aaron Fox injury is a real problem for Sacramento. Um, I know he played through it in game five. His shooting percentages were down. Uh, In general, he looked uncomfortable. And I think given just how much they have relied on him to create offense at every level this series, if he's even slightly compromised, that really changes the calculus for Sacramento. Sabonis has struggled against Draymond Green. um, And I think we understand why Draymond Green is, of course, a Hall of Fame all-time great defender, but uh, he's kind of gotten in Sabonis's head. And to this point, I I have a hard time seeing it. Sabonis kind of fight his way out of it. Um, I I think there's definitely a world where the Kings can win this game and force a game seven, but I I don't feel optimistic about going against Steph Curry in a closeout game. So I think the I think the Warriors are going to pull this out. Yeah, I am. Uh, shall we say still scarred from the 2022 finals uh where we got to see the front row seat exactly what that experience is like and honestly i feel like the stakes are almost as high for the warriors because if they were to exit in the first round we would have to expect some pretty major changes to that organization moving forward what about the lakers can they pull it off this is going to be really interesting i actually feel like this one's a little bit more 50 50 at this point um so obviously the lakers had a pretty big lead 3-1 um and i think a lot of people were ready to kind of write memphis off um memphis responded in a pretty big way uh to force this game six and in a way that i think potentially could signify some uh some positive trends for them the move to move Luke Kennard uh, into a more prominent role, I think, paid significant dividends. I know that Luke Kennard is not close to the defender that Dylan Brooks is, but Dylan Brooks has been so in his head this series and has been his shot has been awful. He's been a massive net negative uh, on the court and off the court, frankly. Um, you know, and I just I get the sense that even with his shortcomings on the defensive end, Kennard is just a much better fit for what the Grizzlies need right now, which is spacing. Um, Obviously, he also got hurt in that game, so that's going to be a pretty significant storyline. How injured is Luke Kennard? 
but it opened up a lot of space for Desmond Bain. It opened up a lot of space for John Morant, who seems like he's getting healthier. Um, and, you know, the big thing that stood out to me is that Xavier Tillman has really kind of shown himself to be a pretty significant part of this rotation in what is a shorthanded Grizzlies big rotation um, with the injuries to Steven Adams and Brandon Clark. Like Xavier Tillman's playing good basketball. He's making things uncomfortable for LeBron, um, which is kind of crazy because Xavier Tillman is a second round pick who I don't think anybody expected to be making LeBron James uncomfortable in a playoff series, but here we are. Um, yeah, I'm a fan, but that was a big ask, yes. Yeah. Um, so I think it, this series feels pretty close. I would still slightly favor the Lakers at this time, just because I, I do think a 3-2 advantage is pretty significant. And I just, you know, maybe this is uh, like totally out of left field. I, I just get the sense that the big Anthony Davis game is coming. You know, I've I've felt like he's been a little volatile this series. He's had good games and he's had some not so good games. He hasn't really had a game where he's completely dominated from opening tip. Tonight kind of feels like that night. May, call it a gut feeling, call it a hunch. Maybe I'm completely wrong about this and Memphis forces a game seven. And I think if they did do that, they'd have a pretty decent chance of winning it. But um, I just feel like that big Anthony Davis game is coming. So I'm going to take the Lakers. Yeah, it probably does make sense. But if, if the Grizzlies are going to have a chance to push the series long enough to win it, shooting is what's going to get them there. We have seen, particularly maybe in this playoffs more than any other, that any team that has made the playoffs at this point who can field functional shooters, not even great shooters, but functional shooters with some confidence, they're capable of being just about anybody. I don't think that the Grizzlies are going to be able to find enough of that shooting, particularly if Canard is injured, but I do think it is uh, something that teams need to be taking a bit more seriously. Hint, hint, hint. Let's talk about game six. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Ah, oh, man. Um, game six, just related back to that last point, as the world's biggest Desmond Bain fan, I am never going to forgive you, Danny Ainge. I'm so sorry. Um, so yeah, game six. Um, we watched uh, game six last night. The Celtics obviously pulled away and defeated the Atlanta Hawks late, uh, wrapped up their season and moved on to play the Sixers. Um, but breaking that down on a game, on a kind of minute by minute basis, um, you know, I think the start was solid. Like Marcus Smart came out and clearly was playing with an agenda, trying to kind of wash away his yucky performance in uh, the previous game five. Um, I think he really set the tone for Boston in terms of just like getting the ball moving early, which I think became a real selling, a, a really important point for them throughout that game. Um, I, I do think that that was not always the case during that game. And when the Celtics were playing at their best, they were getting into actions quickly. They were moving the ball. Uh, they were forcing rotations and they were getting to the rim. Um, there were times that the Celtics did not do that in this game. Um, so <laughs> I'll swing to you, Justin. What did you see just at the very beginning? You're muted. Smart being on a mission to start, I think, uh, was the thing that really stood out to me. Uh, everybody being engaged on defense, I think, is the really critical part because it just disappeared after about five minutes. And yeah. they played just hard enough to keep the game and us on the edge of our seats uh, for the entirety of the game, which I suppose makes for a great level of engagement. But as an entertainment product, well, let's just say that my neighbors may want to evict me fairly soon after that game. Uh, they did put it together in the last five minutes. Uh, Joe Mazzulla went as far as to go out of his way to credit them. Uh, it might have been a little bit of faint praise in the sense that what they weren't doing before that really, it's just something that needs to stop. Uh, I've been hearing a lot of, shall we say, discussion in the media about the the seas parting for Moses, like for the Celtics to get back to the finals with these injuries and matchups. And like, no, no, have we not seen? The Bucks are not playing anymore. The Celtics could very well have not been playing anymore. Have they not been smart enough to remember they need to actually try on defense? Uh, 
we need to stop with this narrative that there are going to be easy paths for Boston at any point in the playoffs, never mind what's moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think Joe Mazzula himself put it best. The playoffs are hard. Um, it doesn't really matter who you're playing. You're playing against the best of the best. Right now, Jimmy Butler is playing at a top 10 level. Uh, that Heat team is legit. They're really good. The Knicks are really good. The Sixers are really good. Every single one of these series is going to be a dogfight. Um, you know, I think it's interesting that you mentioned the defense because that's what stood out to me, both in terms of what it did well and what it did not do well. And the linchpin to that is Al Horford. Um, and it has been Al Horford kind of the whole time. Um, Horford got two quick fouls, that one of which was a, a little uh, ticky-tacky, I would say, uh, at the very beginning of the game. When he was on the court, the Celtics defense looked pretty clean, pretty locked in. They were making rotations, making things hard on the Hawks. As soon as Al Horford had to sit for an extended period of time, Trey Young started getting going. Um, you know, I think... Robert Williams had a tough series um, with some moments where he looked particularly spry and athletic, um, but this was not a good matchup for him. And I think he struggled to assert himself on the defensive end in a, in a lot of different ways. Um, when Horford was off of the floor, Trey Young was getting wide open lanes to the basket. He was able to score uh, in the mid range and in the kind of short post as well as from deep. And it got guys like DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, Boyan Bogdanovich, or this is Bogdan Bogdanovich, um, Bogdan Bogdanovich going. I mean, it just feels like um, they they really needed Al out there and the play on the court reflected that. In addition, when Al did come back in, uh, you know, after the two fouls, you could tell that he was playing not to foul. He was trying to give Trey Young a little bit of a cushion, um, I think, there were the Celtics were a little burned by Trey Young's ability to just draw fouls, which is really, really high. And we should probably give him more respect on that. Yes, um, but Hor you could tell Horford was sagging off, playing a little drop coverage, uh, trying not to foul as much as possible. That really opened things up for Atlanta. And, you know, credit to Atlanta and credit to Quinn Snyder. I think they actually did a pretty good job adjusting in this series and uh, trying to open that offense up throughout uh, you know, I, I think it, it, particularly at the end of game five, it, it really showed. But in this game as well, you know, the Hawks offensive process was really good and really sound. Um, but, you know, in that last five to six minutes, suddenly Al Horford is back out there and no longer really concerned about fouls. You know, at that point, he only had, I think, two on him. Uh, he had those two early and then really didn't foul them for the rest of the game that's when you started to see the Celtics defense really click and lock in. But I also want to give a special shout out to Marcus Smart, who, in addition to setting the tone offensively for the second half of that game, he was all over Trey Young. Um, it's the best defense I've seen him play basically since last year. Um, and it shows, it, it restores some confidence to me that he's capable of getting to that level when he needs to. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's, that's really the story of the game is that, uh, Horford's two early fouls disrupted the Celtics' defensive rhythm. Jalen and Jason were able to create enough offensively to stay in the game. And then late, uh, smart Horford and the Jays took it home both uh, on both ends of the court. Yeah, how they really dial it up in the last five minutes both makes me more confident and also strangely a little less confident in the fact that they had to do it in the first place. Uh, the whole playing with the food thing, it seems to be uh, not just limited to the Celtics, but still something that needs to be exercised from, from their style of play. You mentioned Al Horford's kind of just like, throughout the whole series, not just this game, he's really been a defensive presence and not really been leaning on his ability to space the floor as much. I think that's been more of a matchup-based thing, uh, kind of in the same way that Rob is just not a particularly great fit for this series uh, outside of some very specific situations. Uh but we also saw some Grant in this game, some Grant Williams. I think he needs to play more. I think it's very important that he plays more. I think it's a little matchup dependent. Um, I definitely understand the hesitancy to play Grant Williams early in the series, particularly like you don't really want Grant Williams getting switched on to Trey Young. And there were a couple of times that he got badly, badly burned in last night's game. But credit to Grant, he also stepped up, particularly in kind of the end of the third quarter and beginning of the fourth quarter. Um, he made some plays. He got in passing lanes. Uh, he, you know, got a couple of important rebounds. He had some 
questionable takes at the rim, but he also hit a three or two. You know, I, I think Grant Williams was solid. And that's the thing with Grant Williams is that's what we need him to be if the Celtics want to win a title. We don't need Grant Williams to hit 20, to get 26 points. We don't need Grant Williams to, you know, take eight threes and make all of them. We need Grant Williams to be solid, just come in and contribute, get in the way on defense, hit a couple corner threes, stretch the floor out a little bit, make a couple of key rebounds. I mean, if he does that, then yeah, I think he should play more, particularly to save Al Horford's legs uh, for later rounds. I, I think that matters a lot. I also think we have to give some credit to Sam Hauser, who has at this point, I think, jumped him in the rotation. You know, Hauser wasn't phenomenal last night, but he played his role. He hit a couple of threes. He, well. he used his surprisingly large uh, limbs to kind of get in the way and really, I think, has made significant progress as a defender all year to the point where he's no longer a guy that you can really hunt unless you have an elite self-creating guard capable of doing that. Yep. Um, you know, I think the reality is that both of those guys will need to play some and they do eat into each other's minutes a little bit, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a good problem to have for Boston. Um, particularly if Grant can continue to just be solid. So two questions for you in a more macro sense on this series, who is the best player for Boston in this series? Uh, and then who is the best player who is not one of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in this series? So, I mean, for the first one, it's, it, you know, I think Jason Tatum was particularly clutch last night when the Celtics needed him. But I think Jalen Brown has been the best player in the series. Um, and I think that it's partially just a function of the matchup. I think the Hawks have more guys that they can throw at Jason Tatum, in particular uh, Okongwu, I think, did a pretty nice job disrupting his rhythm uh, at times. But, you know, I think for this series in particular, despite the turnovers, which I think are still a concern, you know, Jalen Brown shot in the 50s uh, from the line, from uh, or not from the line, uh, he shot in the 50s for most of this series. He was hyper-efficient, made a ton of really smart plays. He defended pretty well um, relative to his standards. And I think in general... I, I felt his impact a little more. I, I think the answer is that both Tatum and Brown were exceptional, and that's a big part of why the Celtics won the series in the first place. But I would lean slight Jalen Brown. For your second question, um, a lot of guys stepped up and contributed in this series, uh, and I think that's a positive sign for the Celtics for, uh, going forward. But the one that stands out to me and has stood out all season is Derek White. Um, you know, I just feel like, so Derek White's shooting splits were a little volatile. Uh, his offensive contribution was a little volatile. In game one, he was superb. He set the tone from right from the jump. Defensively, I think he did a great job limiting Trey Young for the most part. I, you know, obviously Trey got loose for two big games in this series, but I think he did a pretty good job just like, you know, kind of getting in front of him, making him have to earn shots. Uh, he His chase down blocks were spectacular again. And, you know, Derek has just become a really essential glue guy for this team. He just does all of the little things that a winning championship level team needs to be successful. I think Marcus Smart and Al Horford both made significant contributions and they deserve shout outs, as well as Malcolm Brogdon, um, who I think has been playing really well off the bench despite his defensive shortcomings, which I think were a little on display in this series. But if I had to pick one non-Jalen, non-Jason guy to go with, it's probably Derek White. So I actually, I can see that. I actually had Al Horford in that position for myself for the second question, simply because of the fact that he did exactly what the series needed him to do. He did not complain. He did not gripe. He did not try to go beyond his role. Grant Williams, if you ever want to replace Al Horford, this is what you need to do to replace Al Horford. Uh, he dominated on defense in exactly the role that was asked for him. He hit some threes when he, when he needed to, but mainly the thing that he did was he sacrificed a bit of his game to make sure that everything went well for everyone else. So for me, in this series, it was Al, who's the best non-J player on the Celtics. A couple other things before we uh, talk about one of our sponsors. Uh, Tatum had a pretty complete game uh, after the contest. Uh, he also had the... Uh, Oh, shall we say good 
goodwill to apologize uh, to Janet Jackson and her fans for the Celtics uh, accidentally ending up uh, displacing that concert by a day by making the series go for an extra game. It would be nice if he said that to the rest of the Celtics fans as well. But that's a whole other thing. Uh, and then there was a Kemba sighting in the tunnel post-game, yep. which was pretty, pretty cool. I don't know if you caught any of that. I did catch the Kemba sighting briefly. I also caught that uh, Janet Jackson liked that post-game uh, interview on Twitter. So, um, you know, hopefully that's the formation of a strong friendship between a pop legend and Jason Tatum. Um, but yeah, no, the Kemba sighting was fun. And, you know, Kemba Walker has had kind of a crazy career. I think at this point, it's probably fair to say that he's probably done as an NBA player. Um, but he, you know, he was so fun to watch throughout uh, his career, both in Charlotte and in Boston, um, and in general has just brought like a lot of joy and presence to the game of basketball that I think will be remembered, uh, even if, you know, his career maybe didn't fully pan out the way that um, I think he and others were expecting it to. I do think that Kemba Walker if if Kemba Walker is not done with the game of basketball, the game will reward him. I could easily see him coming into a media role. That guy has charisma for days. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked at all to see uh, Kemba Walker roll into like a TV booth somewhere, maybe in Charlotte. Who knows? Yeah, I could definitely see that too. Uh, he's very beloved in the Northeast in particular too because of his UConn roots. Uh, I'm sure he was enjoying winning, watching his Huskies win a, a national championship again this season. It's a pretty unlikely scenario. Uh, nobody was really betting on that to happen. Uh, if you were going to be betting uh, while we're on a topic about the Sixers series that we were looking at, how many games do you think we're going to go? You know, if I were a betting man, uh, I would probably head over to our good friends at FanDuel, and I would probably pace, place a bet for that series on it going to six games. I think that the Boston Celtics have a pretty good matchup, um, but I think that Philly is tough, and, you know, Joel Embiid is the MVP for a reason, or at least we think he is. If you want to place a bet on that, you know where you can go, Justin. You can go over to FanDuel. Um, FanDuel, uh, you know, grand slams, no hitters, double plays back. Uh, and there's no better place to get in on the MLB, NBA, and NHL action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook and official partner of Major League Baseball, the NBA, and so many more. And guess what? New customers in Massachusetts can get in on the action with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at fanduel.com slash Boston. Finally, you can bet on all your favorite sports from the money line to point spreads to player props and more. So bet now on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Don't miss your chance to get $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. Visit fanduel.com slash Boston and make every moment more. FanDuel, the official partner of Major League Baseball, 21 plus and present in Massachusetts. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Hope is here. Call gambling line, gambling helpline, mass, call gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GamesenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. The show is also sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, so, Justin, you know, um, I, I've one of the reasons that I missed uh, a couple of uh, podcasts these past few weeks is because I was going through some family stuff. Um, it was admittedly pretty hard. And, you know, I think uh, if you or if anybody else is going through family stuff, um, then, uh, you know, one thing that I have talked about and that I, I want to think about for sure is therapy. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, BetterHelp, and one of the reasons I'm really happy that BetterHelp is one of our sponsors is because um, therapy is a thing that, uh, you know, you can really think about and use, particularly in times when you're struggling, when you're kind of dealing with, uh, you know, things like family stuff and others. Um, it, you know, it's, it's really important. And, I think that uh, it's a really valuable thing to be able to have. And, you know, I really like BetterHelp in, in part because um, therapy is something that is, it, it, it makes the process kind of comfortable. You can just kind of jump in. Um, and 
as a with something that's kind of a lifelong process, especially because we're kind of growing, changing, developing as people, sometimes that can be intimidating. Um, but therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness, your understanding. Sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way that we do until we talk through things. Uh, and BetterHelp helps to connect you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery wherever you are and whatever you need from it in your life. Um, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Um, discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash seltlab today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash seltlab, C-E-L-T-L-A-B. Yeah, someone who has gone through some fairly similar stuff not that long ago. Uh, I didn't know BetterHelp existed at the time, so I used a different uh, locally available here in Mexico version thereof. I won't name them, obviously, but it is the very sort of thing that you need in moments like that. And even in moments where you're just dealing with regular day-to-day -day stuff, sometimes you don't realize when things are just creeping up on you and changing how you engage with the people around who you love. So definitely recommend it. Yeah. Through the magic of editing, we will be with Sixers Wire, Kai Carlin, in just a moment. Okay, we are back, and through the aforementioned magic of editing, uh, we are here with Kai Carlin of Sixers Wire. How are you doing, Kai? What's going on, guys? How are you? My favorite uh, my favorite Boston people. Mm -hmm. Likewise for Philly people, even if, I don't know, can I say this? You're not really a Philly person? <laughs> That's fair. Anyways, fandom and jobs sometimes, you know, like when we cover a team, we do root for the team to a limited extent. We try to keep our objectivity, obviously, but it's hard not to root for people you work with every day. So, I mean, to an extent, we are all fans of the team we cover, whether or not we didn't start that way beforehand. Uh, but I'm going to pass the baton to our usual host, Kenny Tabatabai. Uh, how you doing? Our traffic was fun today. Yeah, happy um, filling in the pothole season to all who observe. Um, to to kind of put a fine point on, we're not big time homers, even if we tweet as such. Um, I am rooting for Joel Embiid to have a massive series. I really love Joel Embiid's game. I love him as a celebrity. I It will be better for my pocket if the Celtics do better, but um, man, I like Joel Embiid, so how's that? Um, yeah, I said earlier in the podcast before you were on, Cam, that uh, when I was giving you shit online last night for, for commenting, uh, I forget who on the Hawks, but uh, anything on the Hawks, I was... Yeah, 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 you were, in the, you were in a dark place. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't even really like a real dark place. It's just like the whole idea that we don't pick up the opposing players off the court uh, when they fall down during the playoffs, at least. That's the fan version of that mentality. Hey, so if this, Al Horford wants to... If Al Horford wants to do it, he can do it. Yeah. All right, Kai, uh, any quick thoughts on the first round? And then we'll we'll look at the second round. Well, I mean, I thought Philadelphia took care of business against a very bad Brooklyn Nets team. I think we can all agree Brooklyn really only made the playoffs because Katie and Kyrie set them up very nicely before the trades. Um, I will give the Nets credit for kind of keeping things together and kind of staying afloat, making the playoffs this year. Good for them. Um but yeah, that Brooklyn team, uh, they, they really didn't hold a candlelight uh, to the Sixers in terms of talent and playoff experience and everything else. Um, and honestly, I think the Sixers have are going are taking like the biggest jump in talent and, or in competition, I should say, from Brooklyn to Boston. Like I just, it's it's such a huge jump in the level of competition that they they are going to have to be on their p's and q's. And really, they they kind of had issues with that even in the Brooklyn series, but they were able to get away with it because it's Brooklyn. They're not going to be able to get away with that against Boston. It's it's funny. I kind of have the opposite read is that uh, just kind of in terms of matchups, Boston didn't have much wiggle room against the Hawks. And I kind of think that they have a little more wiggle room against the Sixers. So um, they might be coming to a head. Uh, Hard disagree. I think we need to quash any hint for any team in the playoffs that there is an easy path and easy opponent. Uh, we saw what happened with the Milwaukee Bucks. We saw what could have happened to 
the Atlanta Hawks. I don't like that idea. That's just me though. I, I will say this. I think I think Boston matches up better with Philadelphia. That's why I'm picking the Celtics to win this series. I mean, I think when you guys had me on last, I was picking the Celtics to win this series. Nothing's changed, especially with uh, the injury to Joel Embiid, which I'm sure we will get into. But, um, you know, with, with Joel, I do think Joel pl- doesn't miss any time in this series. I think he's going to be out there for game one on Monday. But he's not going to be anywhere near 100%. And that is going to be... That, that, that's going to be the big issue. But mind you, the Celtics won three of the four matchups during the regular season. And the one game the Sixers did win, they needed Joel to get 52 points hmm. on 20 for 25 just to win by two against a Boston team missing Jalen Brown and Robert Williams III. Um, I, I, just, I think Boston's such a bad matchup in Philadelphia, not only on the court, but it, it's like the Celtics are in their heads. It's like mentally, they, it's like they don't believe they can beat the Celtics is it's kind of crazy. Yeah. My biggest concern and the reason why I think this could go more than five games, I'm personally picking the Celtics to win it in six uh, for the reasons I that you outlined, well. but they could win it in a sweep if they came out and played to the top of their potential. I just don't expect them to for the reasons I was hitting at just a second ago. Yeah. And I, I, I'm sorry, Cam, just one more, one more point before we kind of move on. James Harden in the Brooklyn series shot 24% on layups. 24%. What? Yeah, Dude, that, that, I can that, shoot 24% on layups. And 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 that is that is per cleaning the glass. Per cleaning the glass, Harden shot 24% on shots at the rim in the Nine series. of 34 on all of his two-point shots. He's... Yeah, the two-point percentage was terrible. The three-point percentage was great. You think he shot 42% from three, they'll take that. But he can't shoot that poorly on two pointers, not just layups, but two pointers in general for the Sixers to have a chance in this series with the Celtics. On top of that, Maxi struggles against Boston. Tobias is is uh, is hit or miss. Um, you don't know what PJ Tucker is going to give you offensively unless he's making that corner three. Uh, just I I just and then the bench unit. Boston is such a much deeper deeper team. So many guys I can rely on. Um, I'm not sure who the Sixers can really rely on on the off the bench outside of D'Anthony Melton. Um, so again, it's going to be a very interesting series. I give the Sixers two games. If Joel is really, really hurt, then I'm saying Boston at five. So a lot of it is going to depend on Joel Embiid's injury. Yeah, I was just going to round things out. I think it's Celtics in five. Um, I think Joel Embiid will deservedly win an MVP, and yep. I. I actually, I think I'm going to spring a game on us that might um, underscore that. But I just, the thing, the, the reason I said the Celtics had less latitude with the Hawks is that even though the Hawks have maybe not uh, as many established stars, they just, they have a lot of athletic guys and, and guys who can step up. And so Boston really was punished when they were unfocused. And I just think that the Sixers outside of Embiid, there's not, uh, unless Maxi gets hot for a game or B-ball Paul like takes over, like there just isn't that same pressure coming from the Philly side. So I agree, Justin, I don't want to message to the Celtics. I don't want to give a permission structure to Boston to, uh, uh, you know, be inconsistent, but I do think assuming that's in their character, that's good for a loss, but I don't think of it as, as consequential. Cause I, I just want to keep coming back to it, man. Trey Young is a stone cold killer. I know he wasn't great in the second half last night's game but uh, he's a dog and Quinn Snyder's a dog and DeJounte Murray's a dog and like they have fighters and yo uh, James Harden is in Vegas right now but slapping people and Joel Embiid's knees are no good I mean it's just it doesn't feel like a pressure cooker in the same way so that's why I'm thinking Boston in five but the Sixers are very very good um it's there's no uh, it's no coincidence that you know Vegas and the Boston's at 538 have them as the second title favorite um it's probably this is probably the most competitive remaining postseason series uh, just on the board right now so i think we're all leaning celtics and we'll unpack that a little bit more but uh let's not forget that joel Embiid is probably the best player in the series he is the best player in the series but I mean, second is Tatum, third is Brown. Well, hold on, hold on. Don't get don't, don't, no more of that because that's where the game oh, goes. Oh, okay. Gotcha. My, <laughs> fault, my fault. My bad. My bad. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm inventing this game on the fly, so it's it's not your fault. 
Gotcha. Well, I just like I, I guess like the overall point though is like when you look at these two rosters and the Celtics are like they, they can just rely on so many guys to give you double figure scoring. While with Philadelphia, outside of Joel and James for sure, um, Tyree struggled against Boston all four games. Um, Tobias is. Uh, to me, he's the X factor for the Sixers. If Tobias plays well, then I think they'll have a better shot. But um, there's no guarantee that he plays well. Then you look at the bench unit and DeAnthony Melton. Um, I think he's very good. I don't think he's going to be very good against Boston, uh, except for maybe a stretch or two. Uh, George Niang can't defend anybody, and if he's not making threes, you can't play him. Uh, and then the same thing goes for um, you know Jalen McDaniel's as well. I think McDaniel's. You know, he's athletic, he's long, but he's also very skinny. So I'm curious to see how he matches up with a Tatum or a Brown. And and Paul Reed, um, as terrific as he was against Brooklyn, again, though, I, I, you can't take anything away from that series. Brooklyn wasn't very good. They're not very good. And if that ro- if that roster was Brooklyn's roster for the entire series, season, they maybe make the play-in, maybe. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, just, it's one of those things where, like, again, you can't take anything away from that series. It's just – Brooklyn wasn't very good and there were stretches really where the Sixers I don't think played very good that if they played Boston they would have got blown out in, in, in two of those games and again I'm very curious to see how the how all this time off affects them and to see if they're rested and ready to go for this series because uh, I think game one is going to be very telling I, I like so your point I'm oh, sorry I just want to jump in real quick uh, about Joel Embiid, uh, I do think he is also going to play in game one because who is going to do any rebounding for that team right? if they don't have him on the floor? Uh, Boston can just go big and it'll, it'll basically just be a schedule loss and you just you can't do that in the playoffs. Uh, regarding Matsy, he was 17-48 across the four regular season games, even worse than 9 for 32 in the last three, and he just made nine transition makes throughout that entire uh, regular season series, which is basically his main mode of attack, right? So whether it's something that the Celtics game plan for or just how he's being used, he just has not had much success with Boston. Apologies. Bebo Paul is 6'9 and only 210 pounds. But he plays with a ton of energy. He's got the heart of a lion. I I would say that. I'm thinking through that rebounding question, and other than Embiid at a – at a hardy seven foot 280 Dwayne Dedman is 6'10 245 but there's just like not a lot of size uh either height or or weight to throw around on this Sixers team it's kind of shocking to see lined up like that um okay I, I wanted to stick with that game one piece Kai so the first two games are Monday and Wednesday respectively in Boston because Boston has home court and then it will swing to Philly for Friday and Sunday let's just look at those first two games what do you think are Philadelphia's main goals. And just because success and failure are the parlance of the NBA the past few days, what does success and what does failure look like for the Sixers over the next two games? And then Justin, I'll ask the same question for Boston. Well, well, I think I think it's kind of very simple for what's a success is stealing home court. You know, if, if you can steal one of those games and yeah, you you, you know, if you're the Sixers, you feel better about yourselves. Um, I, I, think, I think failure is probably them getting blown out both games. Uh, I think they get blown out one of those games. I do. I think Boston jumps on him, and they just—it might be game one. Would you consider like the Celtics, like as far as the rest versus not rest debate? I think too much rest is a bad thing, especially in the playoffs. Like, sure, the Sixers are able to get Joel more time. Good for them. Trey Young ruined my travel plans. By the way, I told <laughs> Justin this. I had I had my flight booked. For Saturday to come up for game one. Um, but then Trey m- m- hit that shot. I had to cancel the flight. Shout I alluded out to-, to you in the first half of the podcast by saying when Janet uh-huh. Jackson apology came from Jason Tatum, there might be some other people who maybe Yeah, for really J- Jason Tatum owes me an apology. But <laughs> uh shout out to American Airlines for re- refunding it. But um e- either way, like y- you know, good for good for the Sixers. They got more rest, but you know, your rhythm could be off. Like, like you're not playing real games. You're just scrimmaging against each other in practice, and that's kind of it. While the Celtics have been playing real playoff games. Ever since the Sixers have been done, the Celtics have played three playoff games. Game four, game five, game six. Since Philadelphia swept Brooklyn 
back on uh, last Saturday, the 22nd. So, like, I, I feel like that will be a factor. Game one will probably be a blowout. Game two will be much closer, still picking Boston. I, I do think the game the Sixers do win is probably game three, and then we'll see what happens in game four. Uh, but again, though, I mean, everything this team does revolves around Joel Embiid's knee, and there's still no, uh, you know, status update on whether he can play game one. I do think he plays game one. I don't think he misses any time, but he's probably going to have to wear a brace. It's, he's not going to be 100%, and that spells doom for the 76ers. Yeah, I don't disagree with your takes on game one. Two, I think the Celtics will blow out the first game because they're going to have to use Joel in some capacity for rebounding. They're going to, yeah. I'm almost certain they're going to play him. And he's just basically just going to be a guy in the post grabbing boards when he can. He's going to be basically be a slightly more skilled version of Enos Cantor for game one. Okay. <laughs> I know, I know, but that's what she, she's, I'm like, unless we're all very wrong and this is all smokescreen and he's going to be fine, which is a possibility, right? I doubt it based on his injury history in the past. So like the, the only thing that they can have him do, like, he's going to be less mobile because of the knee brace. It's not like, it's not like tape, right? It's substantial. And it's I mean, so listen, ask, listen, ask Blake Griffin. You remember yeah. in the 2019 playoffs with Detroit, that bulky knee brace Blake wore against uh, Milwaukee? I'm sure Joel's probably won't be as bulky, but yeah, to Justin's point, the mobility is going to be such an issue. So he's not going to be doing his usual attacking the basket. He's going to be shooting mostly jumpers, staying on the perimeter, running back to his own basket. So I don't I don't expect him to play his normal Joel Embiid role at all, really. And they know how to deal with Joel Embiid better than anyone who's in that mode, which is usually because he's not in conditioning, which could also be a problem considering how long it's been. Yeah, the, the that point I think is particularly true. Uh, it's not uh, as if Boston plays particularly fast. They were 20th in pace, but Philly was 27th in pace. And Boston can turn up the heat if they want to. Certainly all that depth allows for it. So, yeah, if, if Boston really just wants to like get out and run, uh, either Joel Embiid is going to have to like hobble along or it's just not going to work. Um, it's very possible. I, I believe the possibility of a smokescreen. I don't want to cast any like nefarious doubt, but it's been a while and we haven't heard much. So it could be either worse or better than has been presented, which, you know, happens. Speaking of which, uh, Kai, I want to pick your brain. I have a conspiracy theory, which uh, I don't know, before... The Hawks and the Celtics tipped. We got a lot of juicy tidbits about Trey Young's future in Atlanta. And now before the Sixers and the Celtics are going to tip, there's renewed interest in what James Harden is going to do. Um, I really want to know, do you think there's any distraction in that locker room? But I, I want to parenthetically suggest that someone who roots for the Celtics is, is stirring up trouble uh, with their opponents because it's not fun to have your second best player uh, caught by TMZ in Vegas and have stories about uh, him joining the Houston Rockets uh, continue to come out. So do you think you told us before, you think that there's, there's a little bit of possibility that happens. Do you think that those stories are going to mess with the locker room? I don't think they mess with the locker room, but I, I, I will say, I, I think, listen, where there's smoke, there's fire. And I've been saying it all, all year. I mean, he, he can come out and say, like, and deny all these reports. But even his denial back on Christmas Day wasn't even anything, like, vehemently, like, oh, I'm staying with the 76ers. It was just like, you know, I'm just focused on what we do here, blah, blah, blah. So I do think that there's something to those reports. And we will obviously see what happens this summer, you know, when July rolls around and everything. And it'll just be very interesting, interesting to see what happens. But I don't think it tears apart the locker room. Per se, I just think they're all kind of like really focused on what they have to do right now. Um, but even if they are focused, once again, everything they do comes down to the health of number 21. I would venture to say that they are under no illusion to the mercenary nature of a James Harden relationship based on his history in the league in general. And our colleague Ben DeBose over at Rockets Wire has made it pretty clear that the, the front office seems to believe pretty strongly that they have a good chance at landing him hint, hint, they've been doing some tampering. Uh, I would not be at all surprised. Uh, if you need any information about the Houston Rockets, check out Ben DeBose and Rockets Wire because he's very rarely wrong with the thinking of the front office over there. Also, as much fun as I'm having with this conspiracy theory, what's really happening is 
for the playoffs, more people go to games and so more people talk and more gossip gets spread. So it's just like a structure of how the playoffs are presented, but it's way more fun to think that uh, Brad Stevens is like calling his cousin Greg to leak to the media, all of this stuff. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of which, let's play that game because um, we kind of breezed through. I mean, we got Celtics in five and two Celtics in six here. I think we we understand what the expectations are. One thing that I was thinking about today, which is the setup for this game is in the NBA, the best player is usually the most important resource. Um, and I think we think it's Joel Embiid if he's healthy. But certainly the second, third, and fourth best player is, is also uh, important in figuring out who's going to win a series. And I don't really know who are the best players in order in this series. I think I have a guess. So I want to see if you can sort that out for me. So Kai, you're going to play Elton Brand. Uh, Justin, just for fun, you're going to be Mike Zarin instead of Brad Stevens. Um, we're going to have a draft. And we're just, by way of the draft, we'll sort out who you two think is the most valuable player. So you're starting a franchise from scratch. And if you need to, you can pull up the Sixers depth chart and the Celtics depth chart. We'll go eight deep. And you can also draft coaches if you would like. So if that's valuable to you, kind of like picking a defense in the fourth or fifth round in fantasy football um, or whatever it is. I haven't played fantasy football in a while. Uh, I don't know when you're supposed to take a defense. Um, But you can take a coach if or when that is appealing to you. So we'll do a snake draft. Um, Kai, you're the guest. You get number one pick. How's that? But otherwise... Have I made the rules of the game clear enough? Yeah. I'm okay, so really, we're going to see, I'll write it down, how many Celtics get drafted and how many Sixers get drafted. So, Kai, the first of eight picks, hand me the envelope. <laughs> well, well, Joel Embiid. <laughs> okay. Uh, any caveats you want to add to that, or it's Joel Embiid uh, every day and twice on Sunday? Uh, I mean, if we're taking, if we're talking healthy, you know, yeah, Joel Embiid every day, twice on Sunday. Cool. Okay, Dr. Quinn, you have the next two picks. So I'm going to start with a pick that I was strongly leaning towards Jalen Brown because he has been the most consistent Boston Celtics so far in the postseason. But I also think that Jason Tatum is due to really show just how impressive of a player he can be in the postseason yet again. So I'm going to pick him, unsurprisingly. But then my next pick might surprise because I don't think it's if Joel Embiid is as healthy as he can be in the series that the Celtics would win it without the help of Grant Williams. So I'm going to pick Grant Williams. Wow. You just took Mike Zarin's name and <laughs> threw it in the mud. That's okay. kind of crazy. Kai, thank you. Thank you for spicing up the game, Mr. Zarin. Uh Hi, Brand, Elton Carlin, you are up. I'm taking Jalen Brown next. Uh, and then I'll probably take James. Okay. And now it's one and one is the order of the draft. So, Dr. Quinn, you take your, your third player. In this particular situation, there's another player who has to be. The Grant groomed. thing's crazy. That's like Darko's <laughs> Milicic. Yeah, it's kind of throwing me off. Like, just, no, like, you, just, you, you have to hear me out. No, I get it. I get it. It worked out perfect because Grant needs this other player to be the primary defender. And you need both of them to have the best coverage on Embiid you can. Now, I do think that the Celtics could win the series if they didn't have one or the other of these players. But they need them both, if Embiid is healthy, to not be in danger of A, beating themselves, or B, just being beaten by Joel Embiid. And that would be Al Horford. All right. Al Horford is off the board. And Ty, do you have the next pick? Uh, I will take, just for the sake of spacing, gig, probably, probably give me Tobias Harris. Wow, that's interesting. Okay, so because the thought experiment of does one team like definitively have more better players, it's not panning out. Oh, shit, I just took that one. Um, interesting. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm taking a risk there, though, because, I mean, Tobias's round two numbers in his career are not great. Okay. I mean, I can't believe you guys are about to pick your your fourth best players and Rob Williams and Derek White are on the board. Well, and, uh, Derek White is my damn pick. So okay. he's not on the board. He's not on the board. Okay, Kai. Uh, Good because I'm taking Marcus Smart. Oh yeah, him. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, three more picks each, please. Oh, it's really hard to type when you're you can get a microphone in front of you. Oh so, boy, uh, is it my turn or no? That's no. no, your turn. 
So it's so Kai's team so far is Embiid, Brown, Harden, and Tobias Harris. And oh wait, so then is it Kai's? Oh, and Marcus Smart. Yeah, big Marcus Smart. You have JT, Grant, Al Horford, Derek White, and to round out your top five, Dr. Quinn. Malcolm Brogdon for the spacing as well as the ball movement. Brogdon for the spacing. I want Brogdon next. Okay. Okay. All right, so I, I guess I, I guess I'll take Robert Williams the third, like for sure. I wanted Brogdon. Dang, Justin. Okay, that checks out. Um, Dr. Quinn. I will actually take a Sixers player, and it's the only Sixers player I'm going to take who's left on the board, and that's Tyrese Maxey. Yeah, man, uh, Maxey's such a fun player, and he's so good. But I mean, here's where the thought experiment comes out. I mean, he's. The Celtics' depth is uh, tremendous. Okay, uh, Kai, you have one, two, three, four, five, six. This is your penultimate pick. So I'm taking PJ Tucker here. Just, just mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I need, I need the guy to do the little things, and that's what PJ Tucker does. All right, the doctor. Ooh boy, I think I'm going to keep leaning into the shooting, play the ultimate version of Missoula Ball, and take Sam Hauser. Wow, that's interesting. Hauser, I mean, I don't know how much burn he'll get because the Celtics don't really need to lean heavily on the wing, but he played fine. He like, I mean, for who Sam Hauser is in the world with respect to Sam Hauser, he had a great opening round. Okay, and Kai, your last pick. I will take DeAnthony Milton. Okay. And Dr. Quinn, your last pick. I'm taking a look and seeing if there's anybody on the like so james harden there's there's a bit of interest there i already got james oh you have james sorry and i have no interest in philadelphia's roster whatsoever and i will have to go oh boy this is really really tough man i'll go with peyton just because get the manson burn he's not going to see an inch of space in the series i'm pretty sure barring blowouts but screw it. Shoot some mean three pointer. Lean into it. Fascinating. Wow, uh, Dr. Quinn, your your interesting draft choices really changed the premise of this game for me. But I'm I'm finding this fascinating regardless. Well, so, I'm trying to grab the best players available, not necessarily assemble a team. Yeah, which is different. You went with Grant Williams with the third pick. That's not the best player available. <laughs> Playing the Philadelphia 76ers, it absolutely is. The 18 million dollar man. Okay, so Kai, you ended up with well, actually, okay. The premise of the game was which team has the better players, and in order the I draft went. It may have been bad. Well, it's still it, it's close enough that the draft went Embiid Sixers, Tatum Celtics, Grant Celtics. So I'm taking my Brown, team in Celtics. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, you yeah, have Embiid. I'm taking my team in three. You gave me James, Joel, Jalen oh, Brown. The defense is just going to smother. Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, like you gave me, like, and uh, you, maybe you should also... just stink, stick to advocating for rape choice voting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, okay, well, we'll have we'll have to ponder whether or not you guys are worthy front office people. Me and three. I, yeah, I, sus- I suspect you're right. Although the grant, I mean, the grant point is we can end on Grant Williams. Um, it goes to show that the regular season is too long and we're, there's probably with respect to the three of us, a few too many people paid to offer their opinions because Grant Williams was great when the Celtics needed him because Grant Williams is a great player. And except for that one play where he caught the ball and called us a number and it went horribly. He was fantastic. Uh, Listen, I think Grant Williams is a very good player and I agree with both of you that he's going to be, uh, a very important piece in this series. I think he was, he's an underrated defender against Joe just because of how strong he is and, like, you know, stocky and everything. Um, so, listen, I, I think Grant Williams is going to make a difference in this series. I think his three-point shot is going to come back. I thought he was hitting threes. It was a little spotty against Atlanta, but, you, you know, we all know how good of a three-point shooter he is. So, I think Grant Williams is going to make a difference. And, and again, that, that, that just goes back to my original point. Boston has, like – Six, seven guys that can count on for double double figure scoring. You obviously got the Jays, right? But then you have Derek White, who I think is criminally underrated. And then you got 
Horford, who Horford was, I thought, I don't think Horford had a good Atlanta series, but against Philadelphia, like I, that, that's I the type of series. He had a great series because he did not need to do anything on the defensive end. He did everything on the defensive end. Defensively, he was great. I'm talking about just specific. Offense, yes. Yeah. I don't think he was all that great. But I feel that Philadelphia is the type of series where he's going to be coming back to a place he played. Obviously, it was only one season, but still, it's Philly. Um, so he, he's going to probably be a, a little bit more motivated. Uh, I think Grant Williams is going to be better. I think Mal- Malcolm Brogdon's a guy you can count on. There's a reason why that guy won sixth man of the year. Um, and then Marcus Smart, obviously, you, Smart is hit or miss when it comes to that three-point shot. But, uh, you know, Marcus Smart's going to be a, a freaking demon on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, meanwhile, Tyrese Maxey, not a great defender uh, unless he's pressing you full court. The same, obviously, we know James isn't the greatest defender in the world. And if James is dealing with a with a bad wheel, you know, because he, you know, that Achilles thing that that was a thing all season long, apparently. So, just I, I think the Sixers just hobbled. I mean, again, though, like maybe these eight nine days off, maybe they help. But I, I don't know if that throws them out of rhythm or not. Uh, it's it's going to be very interesting. I, I think it is, but I think just heading into it, it's kind of obvious that Boston has the advantage. Yeah, I think unless Joel Embiid's knee is fine and he fully puts out an MVP show and or the old James Harden comes back and or Tyrese Maxey levels up. I mean, we just did this draft and the Celtics had eight of the 12 most desirable players. And that that probably means something. And, and, and for me, even if Joel was 100%, I'm still picking Boston to win the series. It's just, I, I think the Celtics are deeper man like they, they could just rely on so many different people also um hot take i think joe Missoula is a better in-game adjuster than doc is so but like, like I, I think that's something that's going to be a factor as well doc has been better lately in terms of his in-game adjustments but you can't take anything from that brooklyn series you just can't yeah. and it, it, you know it's just, it was kind of it was such a cakewalk, like, you know, for, for the Sixers from the jump. You know, I know game three and game four were technically close, but I mean, it, it never really felt that, that, that the Nets were going to win any of those games, either of those games. So, yeah, uh, I, I think Celtics won. All right. That's a good enough point to end on, Kai. I'll see you on Monday. Uh, Justin, I'll see you soon thereafter. And listeners, this episode of the Celtics Up podcast was brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network and BetterHelp. You deserve to be happy. Like and subscribe to never miss an episode. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook. And we will talk to you sometime after game one. Adios.